You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, Earth Station One listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. Of course, we are back again, and you know, it's getting warm, it's getting hot in some places of the country, it's even getting a little muggy. So you have some maybe a little time now to hang out inside or sit at your favorite warning hole and reading and, you know, reading some comics, reading some books, um, watching some movies and, you know, what came to mind this time out, we were thinking, we wanted to do a comic spotlight, and we thought, who haven't we done who had a really big impact on the industry, especially in the 70s and 80s and part of the 90s? Who else are we talking about? The man who brought Thor back to relevance, pretty much. We're thinking, of course, of Mr. Walt Simonson. That's right. Writer, artist, creator. He is an amazing amazing person and we've met him a couple times every time he's like one of the nicest folks you'll ever meet and it's a lot of fun and somebody you'd almost want to say howdy to and speaking of somebody who'd want to say howdy to is the man who's going to be joining me tonight as my co-host mr mike gordon howdy that's right you have to strike down your hammer and see if you're worthy is we this, are all Asgardians tonight. Well, this era of Thor that we're going to be talking about that Vault worked on, he laid a lot of groundwork and brought it back almost as close to what Stan and Jack originally did, you know, with the legend and, you know, stuff you saw in the movies and everything. And it's going to be a lot of fun to talk all about this one. And we got a great crew to lined up to do it. And I know you're excited about this one. Absolutely. Absolutely. The Gordonson is pleased. Well, as the Gordonson is pleased, you know, it's all okay with me. With thy, I should say. Or is it whoever, whoever listens to this podcast, if they be worthy, shall possess the power of the Gordonson. So they get a cat for that reward? No, no. They have... They can. They have the power of the howdy. Oh, whoa, whoa! Oh, hold on, hold on. That's a little bit too powerful. You know, you know, you uh, really don't want to go for that. It is not something to be handled lightly. Uh, well, you know, only certain people are worthy. So we'll have to wait and see who, if you know, who we have tonight joining us might be uh, worthy of it. But you know, we definitely would love to hear from you guys. Please write us, of course, at feedback at earthstation1.com we definitely would love to hear from you guys it's always nice when people write us say hey we liked what you guys talked about at this on this episode or if you didn't like it or if hey you know did you guys forget to talk about this this or this and i know walt simonson has a lot of fans out there so it's going to be interesting to see yes hopefully we don't make too many of them mad because you know they read thor so we don't want to get a hammer to the face. Exactly. I was going to say a lot of them throw hammers, but you know. Exactly. So. so we definitely don't want that. Or, you know, you'll end up like Loki or something like that or Balder the Brave. So it should be a lot of fun to see. Uh, but we got, you know, definitely would love to hear from you, like we say. Or if you want, please 
if this is your first time listening to us, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We've been getting a lot more listens lately. So new people are finding us, new people are listening. I don't know if it's because of the guests we have with on the show or if we're just getting traction with folks who like to hear how badly we could mess up people's names or talking about topics we don't really know about. You know, we've been doing that for over 11 years now, folks. So it's always fun to do. You could find our show, of course, anywhere you find fine podcasts so you can listen to us up on stitcher apple spotify amazon google you know all those places iHeartRadio. you know you name it we're up there with the best of them so please 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 subscribe also want to give a big shout out to our patrons real quick thank you guys for listening thank you guys for donating uh we've had a few folks who have just upped their subscriptions uh going up from like the dollar level all the way up to the five dollar level and we had one of our patrons actually go from t- five dollars all the way up to 15 so thank you thank you and you could help do that too for as little as 25 cents a week you could help subscribe the, to the eso network patreon and help support us any way possible because our station one is the flagship station of the eso network so please 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 help subscribe help us and you get bonuses you get stickers you get uh, magnets you get to be able to be a co-host you haven't got get to take a shot at the geek seat that's not too shabby folks this is some pretty awesome stuff and you can do that at patreon.com slash eso network check it out and speaking of checking out let's say hi to our favorite and i do mean favorite sponsor of the show the tofosi optical folks summer's here folks pretty much everywhere in the country it's getting warm it's getting beautiful and when you think of warm and beautiful what do you think of you think of sunglasses that's right folks Tifosi optical is your place for sunglasses and for really cool stuff which you can get custom colors custom made frames you know sporting glasses blue light blocking glasses safety goggles you got name it Tifosi optical has it and if you put in the coupon or station one you can get 10% off your order, not just one pair, your whole order. So please help us out. Help Tifosi Optical out by going to tifosioptics.com and putting in Earth Station 1 as your coupon code. And now we're here with new friend, Glenn Fleming. Welcome to Earth Station 1, my friend. Thank you for having me on the show, Mike and Mike. Absolutely. Welcome to the station. Uh, for those people who may not be familiar with your work, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know it's you know, illustrator, writer, publisher, filmmaker. I mean, the list goes on. Right? You name it, he's done it pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm a writer and artist uh, in the main. I publish as well. And I've published about, I think it's uh, 10 books now, two on JFK assassination. Not that we're going to talk about a conspiracy. Uh, a couple of, a couple We've of had side. one of those guys on a couple of months ago. <laughs> We couldn't get him to stop after that, you know. Right. Uh, a couple of science fiction novels. Um, I wrote a, the first book I published was, uh, had published, was a, a book about the World Cup in football, soccer to you. Uh, I've written an illustrated children's book. So I wrote a book about the NASA astronauts who didn't get to the moon for one reason or another. Uh, I, I, wrote, I recently published a, um, illustrated a, a book about uh, my father's uh, experience on D-Day. He was a paratrooper. Wow. Uh, he was one of the first Allied soldiers on the ground, or in his case, in the middle of a fl- uh, flooded field where he nearly drowned. Um, I, I uh, wrote and illustrated an adult cartoon humour book 
Uh, and recently I went to, uh, I like to travel. I went to Easter Island and I wrote a 200 plus page book on that, which I illustrated with, uh, you know, well, uh, lots of photographs in that, about 200 photographs in that. Um, I'm publishing, I'm, I'm doing the second book of my character Hatch. Uh, the first book has just been reprinted. That's on Amazon. All those books, are, by the way, are all available on Amazon. And, um, I'm looking at making that into an animated film, that that character. I also publish, yeah, uh, about a decade ago, I published a magazine called Crikey, the Great British Comics Magazine, which just dealt with comics in the UK. Uh, that that's, was, um, Borders went down. I just put it into Borders, 84 pages, monthly, full colour. If I'm not ahead. mistaken, that's where Hatch was introduced, is that right? Yeah, he was in there, yeah, but he's been around a lot, lot longer before that. Yeah, he was in there, yeah. Uh, but I put that into. It was it started out as a fifty-two page black and white magazine, and it was it was growing. It got a lot of subscriptions. It was going worldwide, and they came to it came to a point around issue ten, I think it was, where I decided that I I either I either have to stop doing this because it wants to go forward, or I put some money in it, double the page count, put it in full color monthly. So I did that, and then about. After the second or third issue got into there, borders went down. Took all my stock, took took me money, uh, you know. So that was the end of that one. <laughs> and it's taken it's taken me ten years to get over that. And uh, but now I publish um, Comics Unlimited, which was just published the sixth uh, edition last week. And that's that's worldwide comics, uh, you know, Marvel, DC, Akira, all this kind of stuff. Um, I also. Um, Last year, a couple of years ago, published a um, 100-page special on Jack Kirby. And I've uh, got a magazine out called Super Spies and Secret Agents, which deals with uh, spies and the like in TV, film, and in comics. And I'm just about to re-release shortly uh, an updated version of my DVD documentary about my visits to Jack Kirby's house. Um, nice. I'm, I'm hoping to stream that, so I'm just working, getting that all set up now. Uh, and that 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 will be out later in the year. So, um, getting to the uh, focusing on a little bit on the on the Jack Kirby thing for a minute. Yeah. Um, in now, there was a DVD released a few years ago, correct? Yes, I released that in 2017. Personal journey, right? Yes, to to that was to mark his hundredth birthday. What would have been his hundredth birthday? Right, right. And, and this, uh, go ahead. This this up sorry this up this updated edition it, uh, it features. Uh, amongst uh, there's a few more minutes of film that weren't in the original and it also shows the uh, Q&A session with a couple of friends of mine artists that we held at the uh, the premiere we had prem- we had 40 invited guests for the premiere in a theatre we filmed it and that's that Q&A is going to go on the back of it and as I say there's also a few more minutes probably about six or seven more minutes of, of, of me with Jack there are a lot of interviews with Jack Kirby out there, but not a lot of filmed interviews. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. so this footage you have is really special. Yeah, it's unique. Yeah, it's. Um, I can actually, from what I've heard about Jack Kirby, and he, people were going around to see him all the time, and I can't believe that I was the only person who dis- who thought to take a camcorder with me. But I'm glad they didn't, in a way. Um, <laughs> From my point of view, I'm glad they didn't, but I would okay. rather fifty-eight thousand people filmed him, you know. So, we, so we would have all we, we would all have that footage. Um, but that's you know that's 
that didn't happen. But as you say, I've seen the the only film I've seen of him um, are at conventions where he just talks for five or six minutes with people, ten minutes maybe, you know. But I went to his house, um, you know. I went to his house twice. Um, went into his studio, touched that desk. Had my I actually had some photostats of my work on there and had a little appraisal by Jack of my work and all this kind of thing. And then then the daunting task of Ros Kirby looked over it as well. She she's the powerhouse, Ros. Right. She's a fantastic lady. She's absolutely wonderful. What what and, year was um, that? That was nineteen ninety one. I gotcha. went in 1998, 1991, but I filmed it in 1991. For the first time I went, um, the, the camcorder I took was, um, it, well, it broke. It mm. only filmed a few minutes, and that, that that's the extra stuff I'm putting on the, on the, the reissue. Um, imagine that. I went all that way, and the camera didn't work, you know. That's crazy. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a bit that won't be won't be on the film, but the, the guy who was filming it, um, he was messing around with this camcorder and uh, it worked and it didn't work. And he sort of gave up. And as he, as, as he's talking on it, he sort of drops his hand and he films his feet because it came on and he didn't know. And he filmed his feet for about five minutes. So I've got wow. five minutes of this guy's feet. <laughs> it's not even Jack Kirby's feet. No. <laughs> no. Oh but man. That bit, that bit, that bit might be on the ultra, ultra final cut, you know, gotcha, in a few gotcha. years. Well, you know, if the audio is good, you know, you could just slap a image of him or something and, uh, and, and let's have the, uh, let's listen to the audio because yes, like I said, um, you know, all that stuff. And, Look, I mean, we could spend hours and hours uh, talking about how great and how important Jack Kirby is. I mean, he is the king, literally. But I'm kind of yeah. curious as to your, I mean, especially the DVDs called A Personal Journey. Um, yeah. I mean, what, you know, it sounds almost ridiculous to ask, but your personal experience, your personal influences with Jack, what made you like go out and do this? And and how has Jack affected your your work? Well, all that is obviously covered on the DVD, but we, I'm, you know, I'll talk about it now, obviously. Um, what happened was uh, back in 1965, uh, probably before you guys were born, I was 10 then, and I used to read British comics. And I used to, I don't know whether you've seen the Beano and Topper and things like that. They yep. sort of, uh, I don't i don't like that kind of uh, material. I used to like the drawings because I've always been, I've, I've always drawn from when I can remember. Um they were the only comics we had. And then we had one called TV 21, which had the Jerry Anderson puppets in. I don't know if you've seen those beautiful artwork by Frank Bellamy and people like that. Right. Right. Uh, so I was, I really liked that because what you've seen that, what he did with what Frank Bellamy and those people did, they didn't draw the, the puppets. They drew people who looked like the puppets. You understand what I mean? They made them real people rather than marionettes. Uh, so, and they were all painted. So that thought was fantastic. Anyway, one day, my brother, my older brother came home and he brought home Strange Tales 136 uh, with Nick Fury in it, which wasn't drawn by Kirby, but the layouts were by Kirby. The, the artist was John Severin. And um, he said, look at this, you know, and I looked at it and it was absolutely amazing. And uh, I've still got the actual uh, issue wow. that, that he brought home that day. And I don't, I don't know whether this applies now or whether you remember in the old books, but on page four, I think it was page four, there was an advert for the other books and, and on the, on the advert page was a uh, Spider-Man and Thor and Marvel collector's tales. And I said to my brother, 
has the shop got these? Because I didn't have any money, you see, he had the money. I said, has the shop got these comics? And he said, yeah, they've got the Spider-Man one and, the, and a Daredevil. So I said, will you get them? So he got them. So for the for the next couple of years, because he always had more money than I did, he was buying all these Marvel comics, you know, so it was really good. But anyway, it, and then I noticed that uh, because because of the credit situation, you know, the credits were on. Jack Kirby seemed to seem to be doing everything. And if he wasn't drawing the issue, he's doing the layouts. He certainly was doing the cover. I could recognize his style. The only I think the only covers he wasn't doing was Steve Ditko covers, you know. Oh, right. And, um, yeah. And Doctor Strange and things like that. And um, I just couldn't believe this stuff, you know, especially Kirby stuff, you know, and, and it was just getting into uh, Galactus and you know, the surfer and all that kind of stuff. And well, you've seen all that Black Panther and all that. Oh, it just, it's just, it's just mind blowing stuff. And that's what he did in the, uh, well, the, the reason what happened then was, was about, I, that was, I was 10 then I stopped reading comics when I was about 17. I went to art college and thought I was growing up and stuff like that. And then 10 years later, um, I just, I saw a comic of, of Jackson, uh, a new one, uh, Captain Victory. Oh, okay. um, so I picked it up and I thought, well, it's obviously not as good as it used to be, but it was OK. And I just began to wonder if he was still alive. So I started looking into the, 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 the fandom area and the conventions. And there was a new convention to start in London. Um, and, and I read that he was going to be there. So I thought, wow, I've got, to, I've got to get to that. Anyway, it was announced that later that he wasn't going to be there. So he didn't go. Anyway, uh then I stopped reading the comics again and I went to Barbados from holiday and I met these Americans there and they were from California. So you get talking to people and uh, I just happened, I just happened to uh, mention was that they lived near a place called Thousand Oaks because um, I knew Kirby last time I knew Kirby lived in Thousand Oaks mm -hmm. and they said, yeah, anyway. So, I left this, we went on, we, we carried on with the holiday, then they went home. And you know, you must have been on holiday where you meet people and you, you have a really good time and then you just never see them again. You never talk to them again. You never get a letter and you, you don't, you don't ring either. It was just two weeks of, sure. of a friendship, you know. So I wasn't expecting to hear from these people again, but they, they left before we did. And when we got back, there was a letter, already a letter from Suzanne in California and she was saying it was great to meet you and all this sort of stuff. And she said, and she said, by the way, Jack Kirby says hello. Oh. Here's his telephone number. Give him oh, a wow. call. Right. So I looked at this letter every I thought, this is a joke. And in those days, with it being landlines, uh, calls to the United States were very expensive, you know. Sure. And I thought, well, I can't ring this number because if it's a joke, it's gonna cost me well, not a fortune, but it's gonna be expensive. Anyway, my former partner that I was with at the time, I used to come home from work and just read this letter and look at this telephone number. And, and after about three weeks, she said, look, just, you know, for God's sake, just, just ring it. And if, it, if, if it's not him, just put the phone down. So I rang this phone number and this lady answered. And I asked if it was, uh, if, if she was the wife of the famous, you know, cartoonist Jack Kirby. And she said, yep, I'll put him on. So before I could even do anything, Jack Kirby comes on the phone. And I thought, geez, you know, what, what am I going to do? You know, anyway, I ended up, I ended up talking to him for about an hour. And wow. I, said to, I said to him um, that I, I, I was going out to the States. Uh, we'd been invited by this couple to go to the States of California. Could I come and see him? 
And he said, yeah, of course you can. So when I got over there, I rang again and we fixed it up and I went around and then met him and had lunch with him and spent about, the first time I went, I spent about probably about six hours in his house. Wow. Just looking at artwork and talking and, and he was great. I mean, I mean, Ros was Ros was really good, and and uh, but Jack was really funny. You know, he's just a he just got so many stories about the war and all this stuff. You know, and he he's just a really nice, decent person. You know, as was yeah. Ros. Just, I mean, they didn't know me. I'd flown all that way. I suppose that proved my intent. You know, but they didn't know me. They made us lunch and made us felt really, really at home. And I didn't want to leave. You know, I wanted to stay. And as it was at the time. It was just at the, it was about, this was eight, 1988. He'd just uh, got a load of artwork back from Marvel in DC. And he, she, Ross said to me, come and look at this. And they took me, she took me in this other different room. And there were these stacks of artwork in these brown envelopes. And he'd not opened or not seen what was in these envelopes since he sent them off. Wow. She said, open some. So I picked up this parcel and opened it. And it was Kid Colt from like 1960 or something like that. And I thought, bloody hell look at this stuff and then i was going through it and there was fantastic four pages and there was mr miracle pages uh new gods pages huh. and he just got them from the, uh, and, and she said she just said to me it's going to take us about three months to to uh you know catalog all this i said well i'll do that for you i'll leave work <laughs> and i'll live here you feed me and give me a bed and i'll be there and and she could see that i was serious <laughs> and she said no i think it was uh uh mike thibodeau is it or, or greg theeks then maybe was coming in to do all that sort of oh, stuff right right you know and um <laughs> so i didn't get to do that but i get i got to hold um the pencil artwork for the cover of hunger dogs oh, wow. because what had happened was i i've got hunger dogs and i obviously got him to sign it and i don't know whether you remember but the cover is painted it's a painted cover. It's done in neither acrylic or oil, I'm not sure. And it's a painted cover, but it's obviously a Jack Kirby drawing. And one of my questions to him was going to be, did the person who, I think it was Greg Theakston who painted it, he, um, did he paint over the artwork? Anyway, obviously he lightboxed it because the pencils were in this package. Wow. So just the raw pencils of the cover, you know, absolutely brilliant. Millions and millions of dollars worth of artwork right there, oh, too. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, how, many, how many pages did he do? 40,000 something. Oh, my God. And each mm-hmm. one of them uh, is, is, is worth everything, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, switching off Jack for a little bit, um, yep. too, because we could talk, like I said, we could talk about him forever. Um, but as far as, as far as your own work, uh, much like the 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 dvd it's like i said it's called a personal journey and it seems like uh, a running thread through uh, like your work is as we've said it's you've done a lot of yeah. different things different mediums but it seems like one single thing that i've noticed throughout all your work is that all of it seems to be very personal stories um, yeah. what what do you look for you know in your storytelling what what kind of inspires you to tell a story well well, what I do is, you see, when I, when I wrote my um, first book, or the first book that was published, because I wrote my first book when I was eight, it was 20 pages long. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but I don't have that now. I wish I did. Um, when I wrote the, 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 the football book, the soccer book, I wanted to write something about the World Cup, right, which is the, big, the biggest tournament. I don't know how, how well in soccer you are. The FIFA World Cup, oh, yeah. it, was in, it was in America in 94 and all this kind of thing. It was around the world every four years. 
And I realised, you know, it took me half a second to realise that there's about 9,000 books on football, you know. So I always try and go from a different angle. So I wrote about the footballers who wore the number 10 shirt in the World Cup. Nobody else, just number 10 shirt. And it's called 1010s. When I was writing about JFK assassination, which I've been researching, I've not done it for a good few years now, but I did a lot of work and I went to Dallas and went to the place and all that. I wanted to write a book. I had all this information in my head and I wanted to write a book. But then I, again, I realised that there was another, there's 580 books at the time written about the JFK assassination. And although it's very interesting knowing where the bullets came from and who fired what and why and all this kind of thing, I wrote it from a point of view that hadn't been done before and remains, I'm the only one who's done it. And that's from Lee Oswald's point of view. The, you know, the alleged assassin, he, he didn't do it, but it, he, I wrote I wrote it from that. I, so what I do is I put the, a, a spin on things because I want to come from a different angle. Sure. And when I did the, the Kirby documentary, it's called A Personal Journey because really it's about me, really. You know, it's not about him. It's about my getting to him, his influence on my work, and then going to meet him. Um, I wrote a book about the NASA astronauts who didn't go to the moon. And again, there's a million books on the Apollo astronauts, but I wrote a book about the astronauts who, who were in the program who didn't go, who were killed in plane crashes and killed in training. You must have heard of the Apollo fire that killed oh, yeah. the three astronauts. I wrote about yeah. that. So the book is, it's not, it's not morbid. It's just, <laughs> I was going to say, that sounds like no, a happy read. <laughs> well, it, well, it's not a bad read. It, what I'm trying to do is get those guys recognised. Because nobody knows, nobody knows who they are. You know, right. they know, the, they know the, the Apollo fire people, but they didn't know, they don't know, even now they don't know the others. And, and I'm not, it's not a morbid um, book. It's, it's uh, about how fantastic these guys were and still are and how any one of them could have been the first man on the moon, given, given the mission. Mm-hmm. there's obviously a pecking order but that's like a you know there's always a pecking order and things but given if they would any one of these guys would have been given the mission they would have they would have done it just as well as neil armstrong and buzz aldrin and i think right. i think those i mean neil armstrong's dead now but i think buzz aldrin would agree with that he he he, he knows that though he those i mean they're the best aren't they you know charlie duke and gene cern and all these people yeah, I mean, if you were an astronaut in the 60s, you were a rock star. I oh, mean, you were right, the best. Yeah. That was the best of the best. And that's yeah. why, um, I mean, Mike was talking about the new series, Right Stuff, that's been adapted yeah. uh, recently. And and if you read that book or you watch the movie or you watch the new miniseries, and, I, and I've watched a lot of stuff about astronauts, too, back in that day. I mean, yeah, they are all of them, you know, at yeah. any level. It are our guys that deserve a, their own books you know so well if you go down to the cape in cape canaveral i've just sent tonight before that's yeah. been, been nearly in georgia when you go down to the cape but you go to the um the space museum they've got it's fascinating it's, this is what i like this is the people i i don't I like to know the other story. I know there's a, there's a wall, there's a room where you go in and on the wall there's photographs and it tells you how the crews were changed. Somebody somebody get injured. So the guy from the other crew would replace him in that crew. So that guy who got injured would go in back into the other crew. And it could have been anybody who was who was first on the moon, you know, of those people. Sure. That said, it, if if everybody would have been fit, it would have been Alan Shepard. Right. And then because he wasn't fit to fly at the time, it would have been Gus Grissom, but he was killed in the fire. And that's when it really opened up from from from, from getting the mission, uh, so to speak, you know. 
because mm-hmm. um, those guys would have pulled rank literally. And uh, I mean, who wouldn't want to be the first one on the moon, you know? I'm so, sure. yeah, and that's, 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 yeah, that's the way I write things. I wrote that. And that's why I wrote the, the thing about my dad. Uh, he was a paratrooper on D-Day and there's a million books on D-Day again, but I wanted a more personal view and I, I wrote it and illustrated it, but I wrote it around the very few things that he actually told me about, uh, because, you know, the, the veterans never talk about what what went on. Very rarely do they, you know, and, and probably with good reason, more for their mental health than anybody else's horror. Mm-hmm. But my dad didn't didn't speak a lot about it, but he did tell me a few things. So what I did was research the actual drop that he was on and um, wrote it around from his point of view again, but uh, not, not a, not a direct, not a direct point of view like I did with Oswald, but he was there. Uh, my dad was there and it was about his mission, which was at the Merville battery. Um, they dropped 650 men. And as usual, it was a missed drop. Only 150 men attacked the target. And only 80 survived. And my dad was one of them. Wow. So I could have ended in 1944 before I started, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, so those are, yeah, they're great stories. And it's good that you're, I mean, it's admirable that you're doing it from these points of view. I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to, to check out um, all of this work because it sounds uh, incredible. Um, but we're going to find out a little bit more about your personal uh, passions uh, Mike, I, I think he's ready for uh, for the grilling. Well, you've buttered him up, so I think he totally is ready. <laughs> you've made him feel right at home talking about what he feels comfortable with. Then he throws them to me. You know, well, this is you know this is where it gets a little awkward. We're sometimes. talking about like you know we're talking about the astronaut program. We're talking about D Day. I mean, these are things that can lead up to you know the horror <laughs> that is the geek seat. <laughs> oh we've had soldiers crying in the geek seat so oh, it's, yeah. a, it's okay you know so i think you know i think he might do okay but you know we'll have to wait and see all right glad are you ready for yeah. your first question in the geek seat yeah what was your favorite geek out moment it's got to be meeting jack kirby i suppose to just to fall back on that Sure. No, I fully expected that one. That was a softball question. That's okay. why, you know, we start off with the easy stuff. It gets I know harder. what you're doing. We're, we're just making you feel nice and comfortable, you know. Okay. What was your most disappointing geek out moment? Um, uh, from a comics point of view, not even getting a chance to, not even getting a letter back from uh 2000 AD when I sent off samples for Rogue Trooper. Oh, wow. Because uh, my samples are better than the one, than the gig who got it. I could see that. I totally could see that. So, but I, I I didn't even get a letter to say, thanks, go away. I'm still, I'm still waiting for the letter. And that's 1985. It probably got lost in the post. Yeah. They're probably wondering what happened. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway. They were waiting what, for you to respond or something. Yeah, what they did, they, they totally changed the character and uh, they changed his uniform and everything and all that kind of thing. But I don't, I don't go with all that sort of stuff. I like, you know, why change it if you like what it is? Un- unless it improves. If it doesn't improve, what's the point? Mm-hmm. I totally understand that. What geeks you out the most? Uh... 
geeks me out. What, what, do, what do you mean by geeks me out? You mean makes me feel good or what makes you go? Wow! What turns your passion on? What turns your right. passions on? Exactly. Right. It's like how you and I were talking about before we went on the air, yeah. how geek equals passion. Right. Basically. Passion. Passion. Well, my wife, Helen, and her artwork, uh, David Bowie, uh, Jack Kirby, obviously. Uh, I like um, the Masters, you know, Canaletto and these kind of people. Um Anything and, and writing, I like uh, Robert Silverberg, Arthur Clarke, Ray Bradbury, that kind of stuff. Okay, awesome. Let's look at the flip side of that, though. What turns your geek off? In comics, bad storytelling, uh, women with jutting breasts that don't really advance the story, uh, the sterile artwork that you see now, there's no, it's, it all seems to be a formula. Same with music. Uh, it just seems to be, you know, these uh, X Factor shows and all this kind of stuff, and just they, they, they don't get it. I, I, I just um, I think the, the main the main issue for comics, obviously, and like in film, is the storytelling. And you might have a fantastic drawing, but if it doesn't tell you what's happening, then it's a waste of time. No, nope. makes total sense. What fictional character would you like to meet the most? Fictional character. Yes. David Bowman in 2001. Oh, awesome. That is a good one. That's the first time anyone's brought that one up. That's awesome. That's my favorite film of all time, 2001. That is awesome. And if I, if I could meet somebody who, just to, just to interrupt you, if I could meet somebody, a film director, it would be Stanley Kubrick. I know he's not here now, but, you know, as we're playing this game, I would say Stanley Kubrick. Cool. That's totally awesome. I think he's possibly the greatest director ever. Certainly in the top one. Nope, totally makes sense. What fictional character would you like to meet the least? Doctor Doom. Ooh. Because I'd probably get on with him. (laughs) Oh, that's almost scary. I don't even want to know the comparisons (laughs) that you know you're going off that for. Wow. What is your favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose? Pose. I'll tell you what I don't like on that one first. I don't like, I really, really don't like it. It really pisses me off when the, on the films, when they land and they do that, you know, like Spider-Man, they all, that, that, forget it. Don't do that anymore. You've, you've all done that. But um, favorite thing would be, well, it's a sequence. It's a sequence, and it's Captain America in that elevator. You know when he jump. You know when he beats them all up, and then he jumps out the window. Or when he's coming down with his shield, that's pure Jack Kirby pose. That one, when he's coming down, you, you know what I mean? When he, oh yeah. And when he fights Shield in the elevator, and they say you you can't go anywhere, you're trapped, and he just jumps out the window, and he just falls with his shield, and it's that's pure Captain, uh, pure Jack Kirby. Oh, very much so. Very, but, there's a few the, scenes um, where I felt like it was right out of the comic. Yeah, but the thing, the best thing about it is that he doesn't land like I've just said. He lands rather heavily and could be injured. But if it was done by any other director, it would probably he'd, he'd do that landing pose that they do, you know, and ruin it. Of course, you know the super pose as they like to call it. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> they, should, they should forget it. <laughs> what is your ideal geek occupation? Mm. 
well, you know, there'd be comic books, drawing comic books or writing best-selling novels. I was hoping you'd be saying that. You know, you're almost doing it already, dude. <laughs> well, they're not best-selling, but I'm trying. You're trying, you know. But also, but some, another thing as well, I'm, I'm learning this now. When I went to college in, back in 1972, um, the just about the only thing I wanted to do was animation. And it's probably the only thing I've not done. I've done ah. a little, I've done a little bit, little bits, but nothing major. I, I was, you know, you know, the, the in-between in thing, you know, it's like 25 frames a second and you've got the, the main artist who draws that. And then people fill in the 25, 25 drawings. I was the person who wanted to do all the drawings. So I wanted to do 2 million drawings like on Snow White, but I, <laughs> I certainly don't have time to do that now. But I'm learning Blender. Have you seen Blender? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, I'm learning that so I can, because I like to do it all. You see, when, I, when this magazine that I publish, I I design it. I write most a lot of the articles, and I design it and I publish. It. I do. I like to do everything. When I do a book, I design the book as well. So with Blender, I'm I'm keep getting uh, waylaid. You know, it keeps getting pushed to the side because I've got other things to do. But I'm learning how to do the animation so I can turn Hatch into an animated film cool because i think when you see him he, he, he's an animation no totally understand oh, yeah. that yep what geek occupation would you not like to do though let's look at the other side of what we're talking about work in a bank oh understandable <laughs> not good with numbers or you just wouldn't want to work in a uh, bank i'm not the best with numbers but i couldn't imagine anything more um waste of time really that is awesome I'm sure some people like it and that's great. Oh yeah. Hey, I know people that geek out over numbers. We've had a few people on the geek seat actually geek out about numbers in the past. Not, so, not many, but we've had a couple. <laughs> All right, Glenn, are you ready for your final question in the geek seat? Yeah. What is your ultimate geek fantasy? <sighs> to complete Jack Kirby's eternal story. Cause it doesn't finish. No, it doesn't. It doesn't end. And I've got a really, really good idea for how that could happen. And I've never mm. told anybody and I probably never will, but I, I, I could do that. I could draw it and I could write it and I could even direct the film if you want me to. Wow. Very nice. That is awesome. That that actually ties in perfectly because, you know, they just released the teaser trailer for the Eternals uh, yeah. film today. Yeah. I, I, I didn't watch the, I've seen the, I've seen it advertised, but I haven't watched it. But I, cause there's nobody on that, that group walking towards you that I recognize. Mm. And they keep doing this. And I, this is what I was saying to you before about changing things for the sake of it. What's the point? I mean, you, you, you get a property like the Eternals, which is absolutely amazing. Look at the designs. It's all there. That's what Kirby did. I mean, you could just film storyboards from, from Jack's drawings. So why do they have to change everything? You know? So I probably won't be watching it. The only oh. thing I've seen... I've only seen the elevator scene from that film. I've not seen the whole film. Gotcha. I've no interest, really, because I, because I know I'm going to be disappointed. Wow. Okay. I totally so tell, me I'm, tell, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I should watch them. 
No, <laughs> we'll wait and see. It's, the, tra- the trailer's okay, but, you know, it's... You know, not like, oh, wow, but it's, you know, well, I'm, it's Marvel and, you know, they haven't well, disappointed see, me yet. Yeah. Well, the, the thing was, do you remember when uh, Stallone did Judge Dredd? Oh, of course. Like, was oh. it, 90, 94 or something? Yeah. I am well, the, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you know this, you probably do, but the, the, one of the main things about Judge Dredd is that he never sees face. Right. Exactly. He never goes. He never goes home. He's he, he's always on duty, and he's just just dread. Now I think Arnie should have played him because I think he would because he has the chin, doesn't he, Arnie? Because it all all is going on, <laughs> right. and and as I remember it, because I only watched it the one time twenty odd years ago, the titles go up, and I think he's on his bike, and he goes into the changing room, and he takes his helmet off. Sure. He says, "Hey, what the fuck?" You know, and I, I, what's the point of that? Stallone takes his helmet off. What's the point of that? Yeah. Yeah. No, well, agreed. you know, you pay Stallone, you want to see Stallone. So that's right. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of those that's one yeah, of those but, uphill battles. But it's well, not not as if it's not as if we wouldn't have known who he was, is it? No, exactly. And that's one of the things I loved about the Dread movie that Carl Urban did. It was just yeah, Carl got it. it. He yeah, like, he got yeah, it perfectly. He, he said, "Yeah, he's he's like I'm not taking the, the helmet off." So. The the best the best film I've seen is uh, a comic related is is Watchmen. Because that that's just about frame by frame, apart from several links they left out, um, like the, uh, the 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 writer on the ship, and then there's the you know that, oh, that freighter that freighter thing, yeah. and uh, and the the, the newsstand guys. Uh, but I thought that was absolutely brilliant that film. Yeah, but they do uh, do a couple of those poses that I don't like. But I forgive them for that because <laughs> it, because it, because it was new then. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, uh, very cool. Well, that's awesome, man. Glenn, I'm very happy to say you've made it through the Gleek Seat. Congratulations! <laughs> Huzzah! Mr. Mike Gordon, tell the young man what he's won. You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth $26.08. And then I oh, have wow. no idea what that is in pounds. Sorry, it's probably not. $26, nearly. it's about 20 quid, 20 yeah, pounds. I was going to say, it's probably not nearly that much. But, uh, but in any nothing. case. It's uh, it's been great having you join us on the station. Um, Thank you. I, I definitely recommend people. We will have a link to Amazon uh, to your uh, you know your search uh, your group of uh, books uh, yeah. for those people who are just you know they can't click the link for some reason. If you go to Amazon, at least in America, uh, look for Glenn. That's Glenn with two N's and then the middle initial B and then Fleming uh, because that's then that'll pull up all the. Um, uh, all the books there's and there's a bunch to choose from and they're all different if you can't find something here i i you know i don't know what you're looking for because uh it looks like there's something for everybody here um but uh now what the one thing i don't see on this is the uh the dvd is that still available or is it available only in the uk or what how's that going no it's not available at the moment I've but you've got a new out, one coming out but the yeah the the final cut is coming out in a couple of months time Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely keep an eye out for that too. Where can people go to find you online to find out where they can get that as well as what else you're doing? All right. Well, you can get me on Facebook, obviously. I'm on Twitter, but I don't go on a lot of time. Um, uh, you can get me at comics, uh, comicsunlimitedmagazine.com. Oh, sorry, comicsunlimitedmagazine at gmail.com. And I'm just building a new website, which because my old one was... Um, I made a mistake. I was away and I got an email saying that I needed to, to um, renew my domain name. Ah. And, I was, and I was away and I missed it when I came back. And I 
saw the email, so I thought I went in to look, and it is now a, 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 a say a, let's say a Japanese dating site. So <laughs> right. don't go there when you right. see my name on the on a dot com. Don't go in. It's my fault because I well I was away. I didn't know. I didn't. No, I got it. I, so, I, but anyway, I'm in the process of building a new one, so that'll that'll be that'll be open soon. So I, cool. I'll drop you guys a link to that when uh, when that's launched. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks so much. Uh, we will definitely have you on again. And yeah, uh, thanks it. for thanks for joining us, man. Thank you very much. That's been great. That is awesome, man. Thank you so, so much. Let's take a quick break, and we will be back, and we are going to be talking all about the world of Walt Simonson. Hi, this is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. We've actually got two new movies coming out in theaters this weekend to talk about, which I feel like is a thing that hasn't happened in forever. I've been seeing more and more friends of mine posting on social media about venturing back to actual movie theaters now that more people are getting vaccinated. Some of the restrictions are being phased back. If you're cool with going back to theaters, that's exciting. But if you don't feel comfortable with it, that's all right too. This is a good time to do what you feel safe and comfortable doing and that's going to vary depending on what area you're in what your personal situation is whether you've been able to be vaccinated anyway it's still a complicated situation so again do whatever makes you feel the most safe and comfortable the first new movie coming out is a quiet place part two i'm fascinated to see how this one does and again pretty much all blockbusters in this post-COVID era, of course, you know, COVID is still going on, but we live in a world that has now been impacted by the pandemic. Are we going to see big blockbusters reach big numbers like they did back in 2019? Are people going to be interested in seeing a dystopian post-apocalyptic movie? I really liked A Quiet Place Part 1. Quiet Place Part 2, probably not going to be a feel-good movie, So who knows if people will turn up or not, especially since it's a sequel to a film that maybe didn't necessarily even need a sequel. I'll probably see it because I'm desperate for new content, but don't know how well it will play for general audiences. Also curious to see how Disney's Cruella does. Disney has had a decent amount of luck at the box office doing live action remakes of their animated properties. They've previously done one on villain Maleficent, kind of humanizing her and redeeming her. Cruella, though, she's pretty nasty, so I don't know that anybody out there is necessarily rooting for her to have a redemption arc. So I hope that they keep the movie a little less heading in that direction, but then again, if it's darker like that, is it going to be really feel like a Disney movie? I have no idea what to expect from this one. But it looks, I mean, stylish in terms of the movie itself and the cinematography. And looks like it could be a little bit of Disney-fied Harley Quinn. So we'll probably end up seeing that one too at some point. If you're looking for more entertainment-related content, be sure to check out my blogs at the ESO Podcast website. Attention, people of Earth! Looking for a way to kill half an hour every week? 
try the Flopcast. It's a silly podcast about cartoons, music, comics, movies, obscure pop culture from the 70s and 80s, and chickens. Join us. Bring coffee. We're on the ESO network. And we're at Flopcast.net. Hey there, listeners. Welcome back. Now it is time for the main topic, and we are going to be looking at the world of Walt Simonson. This is going to be an interesting one because Walt was so embedded in so many different now legend comics. It's just going to be a lot of fun to talk about things we've loved over the years and what we've seen converted into the big screen now even. And it's going to be just a lot of fun, and we've got a great crew to talk about it. Take it away, Mikey. Verily, my podcast partner, hear me, listeners, as we now worship at the altar of Walter Simonson. We welcome two brother warriors, starting with, uh, I'm not going to do that all the time. No, please, please don't. I did, it, I did it through the whole beginning. So anybody who's still listening, bless you, thank you. Uh, but uh, yeah, we've got some great folks joining us, starting with our good friend, the award-winning Bobby Nash. Barely. I know. No. It's hard not to, right? It's hard not to, right? It's the these and thous that you, yeah, so. Dolph. Yes. Oh, excited. It's excited to be here. It's not only to see you guys, I haven't seen you guys in so long, uh, but to talk about Walt Simonson, who is one of my, one of my favorite creators. And you're right. Uh, I, I, I'm assuming you guys probably did this, you know, the timing of this on purpose because you know loki's about to start up and you know walt created the time variance authority now i know it's been a while since you've joined us and even longer since you were a co-host here but you know we don't prepare like like we prepare yeah that that this is just a happy accident Uh, like it wasn't until i did my research that i was like oh Walt's going to be 75 this year. How cool is that? Like, <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I, knew, I knew Loki was coming. You know, that's part of the reason I did this. But yeah, sure. but it, we just said, who do we want to talk about? We threw a dartboard and it just, it didn't even hit the board. It hit one of my Thor trades instead. So I was like, okay, Walt. There you yeah. go. Well, he's there certainly become very synonymous with, especially Thor, you know, even though he's done so much more. But so I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about him. And we are excited to have you back with us. And another person, we are excited because it's been way too long since he's been here on the station. Alan Barnes is back with us. Alan, welcome back. Hey, hey, great to be here, man. Yeah. What's, what have you been doing, man? Oh, man. Uh, all kinds of stuff. Uh, as quickly as I can spit it out, I am uh, professing now in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee at Johnson University. Uh, I'm the the lead for uh, uh, BFA in uh, visual production and design and a music technology program. And uh, my first fully original uh, uh, graphic novel got released uh, just about a month ago. Excited awesome. about that. See, again, timing. We didn't, yeah, we didn't time. <laughs> we planned this. We did, really. Uh-huh. <laughs> there you go. No, well, actually, we were- actually, when we said we were talking about Walt Simonson, Alan just went, oh, that sounds fun. You're in. There you go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Exactly. I'm, I'm really glad that you uh, invited me to come on and do this because Walt is seriously, uh, uh, for years now, whenever anyone asks me, you know, uh, who my influences are, 
Walt is one of the three people that I always name. And in fact, uh, I showed a piece of mine to Bill Sienkiewicz a couple years ago. And he said, oh, you like Topi and Walt Simonson, huh? He named two of the three right there. Wow. That's <laughs> cool. That's cool. And uh, we pointed out this before the show, but you are now living in the birthplace of Walt Simonson, uh, which is uh, odd. I just think of him more of a New York guy. I think he's been in New York for decades now. But uh, yes, yes, he uh, has. but I was uh, surprised to learn that, uh, yeah, he actually was uh, born and not emerged from some sort of godlike, uh, you know, eggshell or something. Because um, <laughs> he's such a, you know, larger than life, uh, not just uh, character, but like, I mean, all of his stories are larger than life. He, he really brings that epicness, I think, to oh, yeah. the tales that he tells. Um, but I want to get into all that in more detail. But first, like we like to do, uh, let's start on a personal level. Um, Bobby, we'll start with you. Do you recall the first, your first exposure to, we're going to, we're for our friendly terms, so we're going to call him Walt. I find it odd when I see his name in print calling him Walter and everything, because it's just like, <laughs> wow, that's so formal. I don't know of anybody who calls him Walter. Well, it's been so long, too, like in groups and stuff, uh, you know, around it, it so long we referred to him as Uncle Walt that it just seems wrong not to. And that still reminds you know? me of Disney. So yeah, I, I can't so. quite do that. <laughs> but uh, I start, when I first got into comics, it was in the 80s when I really got into comics. Um, I had read I was reading them in the 70s. But I when we moved, we moved in 1983. And the first people that I met, the first group of guys that I met were all avid comic readers. And they were introducing me to books I had never heard of before and characters I had never heard before. But this was at that time where uh, right, the writer-artist was just becoming a big thing. This was about the time when Walt took over Thor as writer and artist. John Byrne took over Fantastic Four. Frank Miller daredevil so so it was a wonderful like time to to jump on board and the only thing i knew very little about thor at that point so it was just i I came on started reading it and just kind of held held on for the ride because it was so good yeah absolutely so you were there with when he started his run and that was the the first time you became aware of him that was the first time i became aware of him i had I had read some Battlestar Galactica sure. comics, so, which he did the artwork on, which, but I, it, that didn't stick with me quite as much as the Thor did. The Thor was a, uh, yeah, it was, it was a very, it, it connected with me a, a lot more than the Battlestar Galactica did in terms of recognizing that person as being the, the person creating the stories. Makes sense. Makes sense. Alan, what about you? Um, very similar. Uh, when, uh, when, you know, that first uh, Thor comic hit uh, that, that, that he wrote Andrew, because I think he actually drew a little bit of Thor before that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but, but with that one, with the Beta Ray Bill cover, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that, was, uh, that was right when I was, you know, I was in middle school and just starting to go to conventions and stuff. And I had a dear friend, uh, Brian Garrett who uh who who picked that issue up and showed it to me and we were both just completely mesmerized uh by the artwork and uh at the time I was a huge New Teen Titans fan and shortly thereafter he did the uh New Teen Titans X-Men crossover and uh that was monumental for me I, I even though the Thor was really cool and stuck with me I think the New Teen Titans X-Men just because of my affinity for those 
uh, groups was uh, was probably a had a bigger impact on me initially. Plus, that that was those were the two big groups at the time. Yeah, yes. I mean so those were the two big comics. I think that was like one and two in terms of yeah. scales, right? I was yeah. funny yeah. as hell because when that came out, it was just like I was like where's george i wanted to see george's artwork <laughs> i wanted to see him do it who's this walt simonson guy who it's, it's looking all ske- sketchy and everything you know? yep, yep, yep. and so it was funny as hell you wanted uh you know george perez uh, who did the titans or you wanted like you know John i don't Byrne. know if Byrne was still doing the x-men at i that think point, i but... think paul smith was on the x-men at that point gotcha. well that was mm-hmm. what yeah. 82 so it might have yeah somewhere in there yeah yeah and uh that wasn't just a light like you know frivolous story i mean that brought back gene gray like that brought exactly. back phoenix Dark it was phoenix. the first time phoenix appeared after she was killed in yeah that was a big the x-men issue yeah uh mike where what uh where where does your origin story when it comes to assignments um i had seen some of his drawings of manhunter um especially the pictures of him and batman together and stuff from detective comics there was a cover i think with you know that had both of them had paul kirk um manhunter on there and it was amazing to see but i had no idea who the artist was at the time uh, but for me, the first time I really remember seeing his work was the alien adaptation they did of the original mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. And I saw it at a bar at, I think it was B Dalton. And I was like sneaking. I was like, but at the time I was like nine <laughs> or 10. And I was like looking at it and like horrified blood. Oh my God. What did they do to these people? You know? And it was just, it was just amazing how they captured it and the artwork was beautiful in that and i was just like oh this is awesome and then after that the next time i remember seeing him was the titans x-men crossover mm-hmm. and you know then go you know you, i've already said what my thoughts on that were but then thor came around and that just was like from that very first cover where literally they had Beta Ray Bill destroying Thor's logo, you know, with the hammer. And it was just like, this is something different. This was something amazing. And like you guys were, like Bobby, I think, was saying, this was the time of the writer-artist where Byrne was doing Fantastic Four and Walt was doing basically Thor. And both of them brought both, all those characters back to greatness because they had been very weak before this and all, you know, all of them were on the verge of cancellation if i recall like yeah yep. that's like, why like they four and exactly yeah. uh, that's they, why they, they took just, the chance just, of it <laughs> they took the chance but they like oh we can get a guy to write and draw it that's cheaper than getting mm-hmm. two people so we'll just give it to these guys and whatever whatever happens happens right exactly. yeah, do whatever you want we don't care we're okay <laughs> well exactly these guys were like so low rated at the time mm-hmm. they had they so were, much freedom though exactly and they were like do whatever you want with these characters and we'll talk all about that in a few i'm sure but mm-hmm. it was just amazing to see what he did it to me it's the closest to what stan and jack originally had done with the character and you know all the mythologies and i think he brought those back and that was what was amazing about it and you know and then from there you know he did x factor with his wife you know louis simonson 
And, you know, and then, you know, he just popped up all around after that for me. And sure. it's just, it's great. It's Fantastic Four. Is you know, some of his other work, he did like Orion, I think. And, yeah. you know, so yeah. it was pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll we'll get into certainly some more highlights. Uh, but um, just to wrap that up, um, I mean, I, uh, you know, as I've said many, many, many times, I, I'm not a huge like Marvel zombie. So I, if it wasn't Spider-Man, I wasn't really like reading or, or knowledgeable about it back then. Uh, for me, uh, my first real exposure to Simonson that I became aware of him was Star Wars. Um, he did uh, with starting with issue 16, which is one of my favorite uh, issues of Star Wars that introduces the bounty hunter uh, that um, Vader hires to get to go after uh, Luke and everything. I can't remember his name right now, but um, anyway, it's got a beautiful cover on it. Um, and, uh, and then he did, uh, I mean, he wrote and did a lot of, of my favorite uh, Star Wars stories during that run. Um, like the first few 50 issues or so, he's all over the place. He did uh, a story that um, I really like called um, To Take the Tarkin, which is when the Empire is creating a alternate, like a sort of backup to the Death Star. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, and, you know, very quickly, I, I knew who he was, not because I, you know, kept seeing his name on there, but that, that signature of his is so easily identifiable and so easy. It's like, you know, it, it's really like you see the cover and then you see that signature and you're like, oh, I know that guy. Like, I just like, it, it really stands out. Um, and, and really um, in a way that I don't, I don't want to say it like, you know, um, stands too, too much out. Cause it's not like he's overshadowing the art. He kind of, I like the way he kind of always puts it in there um, as a, He's not hiding it, but he's also kind of incorporating it into the artwork. And so it doesn't really like stand out on its own. It's not like you're drawn to it, but if you just stare at that cover, which back then we were all staring at covers for a long time, um, <laughs> you'd be like, oh, there's that, there's that, uh, I think he called it like a brontosaurus type Yeah, thing, it's, a, right? it's a dinosaur, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. he had a love for dinosaurs, right? So, yep. um, so I quickly, you know, spotted that uh, over and over and over again. Um, that led to, you know, his work on Battlestar Galactica. Um, I noticed he did a lot of movie adaptations. Um, and, uh, cause I know he worked on, he wrote the, uh, movie adaptation of Raiders of the Lost Ark. He worked on the one for Close Encounters. Um, and, and as you pointed out, Mike, the one for Alien and his movie adaptations didn't suck. <laughs> like, like it stood <laughs> out for me because movie adaptations were like hit or miss, mostly miss back then. Um, but his did not, whether he was writing it or doing the art, certainly if he was doing the art, it was even more special. Um, so, um, and then because of my love for DC, I became aware of Manhunter. Um, uh, and I, I sought those back issues. I even had a couple that I didn't even realize because it was a backup feature for, I think about eight weeks, six weeks or eight weeks on, in, in detective. I mean, Manhunter is a very short short story um when you put it it's all it's been collected and i recommend mm -hmm. people check it out um but that's and i think that's really kind of his earliest work in professional comics um i, I don't know if there's a, if you guys want to go back even further 
I mean, earlier there's he didn't do a he didn't do a lot before that. Mm-hmm. Well, he, I know uh, he did he did Star Slammers. I think was his first thing. Star Slammers he came up with, and yeah. that was the thing he came up with in in college. And I don't know if it if it was actually officially published mm-hmm. until much later. Uh, I, I, I believe you're I correct. I, I don't know correct. the history of Star Slammers. Uh, that's the one thing I have not read at all by him. So. Um, but if you want to talk about Star Slammers, we can do that because I know that he was working on that. And very early on, I think he also was doing kind of ideas for Thor, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, that he that he would later incorporate into his run. Yeah. Well, I think there was, was I think Star Slammers was what got him the work doing Star Wars, Probably. showing those showing those Star Slammers because there, there it is a very much a science fiction right fantasy right, type right. of setting. And he did and, that and, while he was studying at RISD. Yes, yeah, and and it's that's a series too, as as he owns it, that he has come back to a few times. Um, there is a nice hardcover out now that's got like all of the various Star Slammer stuff at various publishers in one volume. That's oh, nice, beautiful. It it, all, it also has his schoolwork in it, which is really cool to see. <laughs> wow, that's cool. I uh, I have seen uh, you know various. Um, um his layouts when he was doing um and some of the stuff that he was doing uh when he was originally thinking of this storyline for thor way back in the day he incorporated a lot of those layouts those same layouts to his run um and they're they were you know they didn't need much adjusting uh so i mean he was very much a wonderkin i think um so for a guy who didn't like you know he seems like only he kind of only like almost fell into comics because from what I understand from his, his, his college and everything like that, like he wanted to be, he was thinking about being a paleontologist. He was thinking about doing this, that, or the other thing. And I think he just kind of said, well, I like to draw and I like to draw dinosaurs. And, uh, you know, eventually that led to actually drawing dinosaurs, like in comics and stuff. So, um, but as far as I could tell, I knew he did some work for um, some other publishers prior to his DC work. But it was really teaming up with Archie Goodwin in 1973 with Manhunter that got him attention. Uh, that that series won uh, a lot of awards, uh, became a very much of an acclaimed story. That pairing was was would serve him well going into the next decade or so. Is this teaming mm-hmm. up with Archie Goodwin? Uh, I think they teamed up with. I think they teamed up on Alien. The other they, day. Yep, they that was the, that was the Alien. Thing. And uh, I know they did some work on on Star Wars, etc. So um, uh, when Archie wasn't working with Ali Williams, and so I mean, if you if your backup is uh, uh, Walt <laughs> for for Al Williamson, that's not that's not a bad place to be. <laughs> well, not to mention that that Archie was also an editor, and so right. even if you weren't drawing stories, he was writing. He was hiring. Right. these guys you know for books he was editing so um so let's talk about manhunter um because manhunters you know is one of those things that uh i i love the it's a short like i said a short little epic story has a beginning and an end a definite end mm-hmm. um you know i don't think paul kirk has shown up since then um so it's got like a, this definite like you know short life but it's a really kind of cool story and what struck me right from the beginning is uh, Walt's design of the Manhunter costume. Uh, that sure. is like, that would go on, like, you know, for those people who know Walt Simon's artwork, you can look at that and go, 
that's a Simonson. <laughs> that's a Simonson sure. costume. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, Mike, I know you talked about uh, Manhunter a little bit. Um, what are, What are your thoughts more on 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 that little series? Oh, it was an amazing series because it tied into some of the Rajah Ghoul type storylines that they came up with later, and it was League of Assassins type thing. And I know I really fully discovered, you know, I saw the pictures, I saw some of the character story I glanced at as a kid, you know, a lot of it went over my head. I started becoming really big into Manhunter when the Manhunters started popping up in Justice League later, and they started creating the whole mythos uh, that they were the original Green Lantern force and, you know, by the Guardians and stuff like that. And then I went back and I read to see if they touched on any of that in de- the Detective Comics stories. Because back then you know, you were able to pick up those for 50 cents, a dollar at a comic shop because, you know, oh, it's just a backup story. It wasn't anything like it is today. And it was really easy to do. And it was awesome. You know, the stories, the artwork that Walt was doing was, it was like, to me, it was just like reading something like, because with the inker and everything, it looked to me, it looked somewhat almost like Neil Adams ish at that point, you know, very detailed, very like the costumes were intricate and the, the, the characters, you know, the details in the faces and everything, because I always felt like Walt, when he, you saw people went more towards his true drawings was more sketchy looking. And, you know, and that's what it was interesting. It just also depended on who inked him. So it was always the case there, but it was a lot of fun to see. And Manhunter was, if you get a chance, folks, definitely look at it, not just for Walt's art, but just for the story too. Yeah. I mean, it's in a very uh, adult mature story. Um, it's very dark and it does have this sort of like seventies Kung Fu mystical martial arts kind of vibe to it um i i i i really dig it i thought um yeah it's one of the things that uh i got the special edition when it collected it all when it came out i think in the 90s or something like that but uh um and it's got a final story on a final chapter that uh um unfortunately was published after archie passed away but um uh walt finished it up and uh it, it's just it's just a great collection so i would definitely recommend that um alan any thoughts on on manhunter the the biggest thing that i know about manhunter that you guys haven't already said because you've covered the majority (laughs) of what i think is important uh is that is that i um i heard walt talk one time about the design decision for manhunter's costume was specifically done to be a contrast to batman where batman was all dark manhunter was supposed to be white and and that red Mm -hmm. you know color so it was uh, so all of the design decisions there were really um, made to try to figure out how to how to make Manhunter as unlike Batman as possible if he was going to be the Batman feature, the uh, backup feature. Yeah, yeah, and also how um, I think Walt wanted to be wanted it originally to be a little sleeker, um, yeah. but Archie was like, no, no, he's got to be able to carry like all these weapons and everything. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So, right. so that's why uh the uniform uh, the outfit looks a little like like wow that's huge he's not sneaking up on anybody 
but uh, <laughs> yeah, can you imagine he'd be going clang, 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 clang? <laughs> he's the anti-Batman. Somebody's trying yeah. to brunk in, yeah. Exactly. He's not. Yeah, he's not going to sneak up on Commissioner Gordon. Uh, <laughs> uh, Bobby, any thoughts about Manhunter? Uh, you guys have pretty much covered it all. I mean, I that was one. Now, now I I discovered it out of order because the opposite of you, I, I grew up. I was a Marvel guy, so I. I got into more of the DC stuff later. So I was already familiar with Walt's work from Thor and things like that by the time I discovered Manhunter. And uh, so it was a little bit because Walt's Walt's artistic style had morphed a bit since those early days. So yes, it was a, it was, it was a bit off putting at first. We're like, wait, that's the same guy. I don't um, know if he, I don't know if he he usually, because on the Thor run, he's inking himself. Right, because uh, he's just responsible for all the art there. But I think with that Manhunter stuff, I think someone else was inking. It. Well, I, I think too there was a conscious decision to to make to get it similar in tone to the the Batman feature because yeah. there comes a point in the story where the two do meet yep. up. The two stories do meet up. Exactly. And so, yeah. That's so I think. Yeah. So I think having it match the art on the on the main feed Batman feature, I think, was part of the plan. You know, the first time that I think I ever saw Walt look like Walt that I think of today uh-huh. is in that Dr. Fate story that he did. That's good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Which would have been, what, about a year or two after Manhunter or something like that? Something like that. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because he, he did that and then he did um, Her- Hercules Unbound. Right. He was right. on Hercules Unbound for a while. But that leads me to uh, the se- the rest of the 70s. So in the 70s, well, after Manhunter, he's in demand, not just for DC, but he's, bou- he's, he's, he's bouncing around. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he's working. He's like, that's when he does the, uh, in 79, he does the Alien adaptation. Uh, that, Bals- that, was heavy, that was heavy metal. Right. That wasn't even DC mm-hmm. or Marvel. Exactly. Uh, Battlestar Galactica, he does for Marvel. Um, he did the, the very first cover of uh, the uh introduction of doctor who to american comics the marvel yep. premiere uh the cover is by well um he doesn't do any interior artwork of doctor who but he did that cover so that cover that you see of tom baker and the tardis uh that famous cover image uh was his um close encounters was 78 raiders lost ark 81 uh courses work on star wars um, and as, as you pointed out, Alan, he did his first run on Thor in 1977, where, uh, he's working with, I think the writer, correct me if yeah, I know you'll correct me. Is it Jerry Conway is writing it then? I, I don't actually remember. I, I don't actually know, but that's probably <laughs> right. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I figured it was either, it was either Conway or I don't know. Did Lynn Wien write Thor? It might've been like, it might've been yeah, it either was, way it, i'm not yeah. sure it's somewhere in there so he does that first run on thor um but uh and that sort of you know the 80s sort of end 1982 or begin that run uh with the x-men team titans crossover that you mentioned so any other work uh that either i haven't mentioned or real mentioned real briefly that you guys want to talk about with the end of the 70s there i mean i've already talked about his work on star wars and that was pretty incredible um and really um you know, because uh, that was a hit or miss because, you know, I was a big fan of the, the movie, of course, the movies. Sure. And it was really important to me to see those characters represented in a way that wasn't too stylized, let's say, sure. you know. 
Um, but I, I think Walt, you know, did, did a great job at capturing their likeness without it being like a, looking like a photo grab, you know? Sure. Um, and I think he deserves a lot, a lot of credit for that. Um, and just the sense of adventure he brought and his backgrounds and his ability to do spaceships. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. we talk about, you know, I'm, well, I don't, it, it, you know, you, you think of him doing like Thor and his figures, right? Uh, we talked about the costume of Manhunter and everything. And that, that's definitely, um, uh, that's definitely Simonson, but man, those spaceships, he could really like, those are tricky, you know, whether it's the Millennium yeah. Falcon or, cause I used to draw those, uh, when I was a kid too. And I used to draw them from the comics because I was like, this is how you can draw these things. It was sure. interesting that he took over after Carmine Infantino, right? Too, yes, because because Carmine did the original <laughs> on Star Wars. Um, but by it's the interesting because <laughs> Carmine did the original, you know, New Hope uh, adaptation, and then they brought in Walt. Yes, afterwards, and it was almost seamless because you know with Walt they he tried to emulate at first. Carmine style so it almost looked very seamless when he went in and then he started drawing a big green bunny you know which was you know. <laughs> and the timing of that too was was interesting because with the leaves up time to get those done the movie probably hadn't even come out by the time Walt started his art on that book oh, oh exactly well, when I've I've seen interviews where he was asked about working on Star Wars, and you know they were like, "Oh, what was it like working on Star Wars?" And he's like, "I I cashed a check." Like, I mean, he was like, <laughs> because, because we had no idea. Yeah, he said we had no idea that. I mean, we knew it was a big movie, but we didn't know it was going to be the big movie. Yeah, uh, yeah even sure, as sure, they, sure. you know, as we knew that they were making a sequel, because there were certain things that when we tried to do. You know, I because I came up with the idea of like, oh, let's do another Death Star. You know, they have a backup, and they were like, uh, Lucasfilm was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, oh, I guess uh, one's coming. So that's why they created the Tarkin, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of a, a, a bigger weapon device. Um, and so, uh, so they had to go through the steps that way. But I mean, yes, they had a lot more freedom, uh, and certainly his run on Battlestar Galactica was. I can't imagine anybody was paying attention to that because that's so far removed from anything that they were doing on the show that, but it still felt like Battlestar Galactica. Mm. And again, his ships, uh, you know, dry on the Vipers Mm -hmm. and the Cylon Mm -hmm. those are like beautiful ships to me. And yeah, like I said, I don't mean any disrespect to Infantino, but I did not care for his work as much on the star Wars title in particular, but when Walt took over, I was, I was happy. You know, you know Howard Howard Chicken did a little bit of that uh, early Star Wars yeah. stuff too, and it's right, right. much it's much maligned. Like Chicken himself apologizes <laughs> for say, it. Often. Even he maligned. Right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's exactly right. Yeah, but, yeah. But when, like I said, when those guys were working on it, they had no idea. It was just that's no right. Movie. That's right. You know, that's there right. was no. I mean, I, I don't think anybody would would have. You know, just from looking at the story, if you just look at it from without you know obviously we look at it now and know what it becomes but looking at it then that could have easily been one of those things that became you know later we'd have thought of as a sci-fi channel movie of the week you know you know i read a i read a i read a a biography about lucas a couple years ago and uh in the biography they describe it as uh they showed like a a reel of it before the sound effects and score got added uh, in like a, a meeting with a bunch of other big directors or people who were going to be big directors in very short order. And uh, 
basically uh, Lucas's wife stumbled out of the meeting crying because it was so horrible. Hmm. And, uh, and, and the story was that uh, it was really the, the score that saved it. I don't know how true that is, but yeah, yeah I, well, you know, I've heard various things about like her editing was, uh, you know, she re-edited, she recut a lot of stuff and, and helped out that way. But yes, I know that, you know, he was very concerned and the studio yeah. was very yeah. concerned Yeah, because, well, and even so there was nothing that had come out like it before really. And so right. the studios really didn't know what they had and he was tweaking it like, you know, people think the special editions is when he started tinkering with it. No, no. He was tinkering with it like all the way through the first year of yeah. that it was released. Like while it was in theaters, he was still fixing up stuff and releasing it to <laughs> theaters and everything. So, um, but that's neither here nor there. All right. So we got to get, we got to move on. We definitely have to talk about 1983. 1983 is a big year because that's when he starts on the Mighty Thor, uh, mm-hmm. the Mighty Thor series, starting with issue 337. And as you guys have already pointed out, uh, it's all Walt. Uh, it starts off with a brilliant cover that doesn't have Thor on it. <laughs> powerful yes. cover. Powerful cover that does not have the main character on it. And, the, and then what happens? The main character gets whooped. <laughs> and yep. the first thing, the first time ever, someone beats Thor and takes his hammer. Yep holds his hammer carries his hammer it's the first time it's ever been done in comics um if there was an internet back then i don't know if walt would have made it like two more issues (laughs) 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 because uh you know this horse face looking guy comes and just does the impossible and even looks Mm -hmm. like thor like you look at it and the you know that cover it's like well he's dressed like thor but that's not Thor, is it? So, um, uh, well, not only that, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that not only did it, I mean, he really shook up a lot of things. Well, I mean, we see on that cover the the logo that he's had since the beginning, yes, is broken. He gets a new logo next issue, yep. They mm-hmm. get rid of Don Blake, you know, mm-hmm. we completely, you know, we start adjusting and changing characters yeah, I think, a bit i think and... jane's already oh, gone by i then, love right? yeah. yeah oh yeah jane's gone by that point but it was interesting i love the secret identity thor came up with the total <laughs> yes. you know uh, to put on the, the glasses looking, yeah <laughs> and put his hair into a ponytail yeah, like right. nobody yeah. would notice uh, you know Which i love for that, that other guy that... across the way yeah, but Clark Kent actually sh- and Lois Lane are actually in that episode. One of those that, issues, yeah. yeah. And, and there's yeah. actually a book, I forget the, which book, but there's a book Walt did years later at DC where he did that scene again where they bump into the Thor. <laughs> yeah. Just <laughs> to say, these two things happen at the same time. Here you go. <laughs> nice. like that. Yeah, well, I don't think, you know, uh, the thing about Simonson, and I think you really see it here when he's allowed to like play um unrestricted really um is that i mean on the one hand he he knows how to tell an epic tale he knows how his storytelling is is just on point um and very serious uh you know he takes it very seriously all of this stuff this north mythology that he's interweaving here bringing back into the comic and in some ways i think he's even embracing it more than yes uh than stan and and uh jack did uh because to stan and jack they were he was still a superhero he becomes less of a superhero here and more of a god of thunder like an asgardian in this i mm-hmm. think 
Um, and, uh, you know, but despite that, Walt's got a wicked sense of humor, man. And it, and it shows right from that first issue with Beta Ray Bill, the introduction of Beta Ray Bill. And then, of course, later, much later, uh, well, not too much later, but when he changes him into a frog. Which yeah. I'm telling you, if there was an internet, he definitely would have been fired it's, after that. <laughs> there, there is a, and, and you know what? He even like sneaks in a dad joke on one of the the frog covers. It's like, what do you call a six foot one, two hundred oh, right. pound frog? Mm-hmm. Answer inside, and the title mm-hmm. of that issue is Sir. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, what's even funnier to me is I, as I was reading that because I hadn't read uh, any of that until just recently. I, I started the, uh, uh, I finally sat down, uh, thanks to the pandemic, I was finally able to sit down and read the Walt Simonson entire run with the visionary uh, t- uh, trades. And so I started, I read a two of those last year, and then I read the final three leading up to this episode. And so, yes, I get the, you know, I'm reading the, about uh, Thor being changed into a frog by Loki, of course. And uh, it's only three issues, but I'm sure that drove people crazy. Uh, I think we've already talked to one person, Mike and I know, that uh, like canceled the title and never read Thor after that uh, because of <laughs> uh, because he changed him into a frog. But the um, you know the solution, one of the solutions that Thor comes to uh, uh, to get out of the situation is he has to lift the hammer. As a frog, he has to lift the hammer, and he has this you know sequence where he's lifting the hammer and. He quotes the uh, the actual uh, I can't remember the name of the line of dialogue, but he's quoting the famous uh, one of the famous Peter Parker, uh, the Spider Man, Amazing Spider Man issues where Spider Man oh, is like lifting, where yeah. he's under the thing and like lifting the you know like mm-hmm. be, you know if a man is going to do this like you know I'm going to be that man or whatever and 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 instead it's like if a frog can do this like you know <laughs> I could be that frog or whatever and he and, and he steals the line right from Amazing Spider-Man, but applies it to the frog. I'm like, that's a joke within a yeah. joke within a joke. But like- <laughs> it's one of those things, too. Like, everybody reading that also expected, as soon as he picked up Mjolnir, that, he would, that it would break the curse and he would be Thor. <laughs> nope. Instead, nope. he's a giant-ass frog. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> In a Thor right, costume. Right. A Thor costume. Exactly. Uh, but- and that was what was amazing about it. But the... The story was great, but the artwork in this whole run was so powerful. Oh, yeah. From the very first storyline, when every time you had the demon, you know, basically working as a blacksmith, doom. Oh, right. Uh, Surter. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. And it was just awesome because it was the beginning. Of, he was putting the seeds right there about Ragnarok. That's that was, that was a, like a 20-issue subplot. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> doom, doom, doom! Like through the whole yeah. night, like right. Because Shurter doesn't, yeah. Because Shurter doesn't show up until like three forty nine in Asgard, you mm-hmm. know. So, <laughs> but the one of the things too we talked about Asgard pr- prior to to Simonson taking over, Asgard was just part of Thor's. He doesn't. He it was never. It was rarely the focus of any stories. Mm-hmm. Asgard was the place that Thor was leaving. When he went on his way to Earth, you know, you but you would occasionally get guest starring appearances or whatever. But Simonson made it to where almost every issue where we spend time in Asgard, whether Thor's there or not. And I think that that made it made it more integral, I think, to us as readers and 
made me made me care more about Asgard than any of the previous runs had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, particularly some of the most of the characters, uh, particularly Baldar, uh, Baldur, yeah. right? Because uh, that's his that's like that's like the number two character. I think there's even an uh, an issue of Thor that Thor's not even in. Like I think it's all like Asgardians, primarily Baldur. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that he made, he made like all these Asgardians, his, uh, supporting cast. Um, Alan, what about you? What, what from his run on Thor, uh, stands out to you? Well, as, as Mike was saying, clearly, clearly the artwork. I mean, I think that, I think that Simonson, um, uh, really captured something, uh, uh, amazing with that. And the thing that I think that he captured more than anything was um, an application of sort of a European aesthetic to American comics. Mm-hmm. Um, he has said in an interview a few times that, of course, Jack Kirby was, you know, one of his largest influences. But I think that there are three other guys that he's really looking at a lot and trying to figure out how to merge them into that thing that became the Simonson look. And those three guys are... Uh, uh, Irving Tripp, who did Little Lulu, uh, Jim Holloway, who did uh, Modesty Blaze, which was a huge mm, yep, influence yep. on Simonson, and then of course uh, Sergio Topi, who I think uh, he's borrowing a lot of uh, his inking concepts from. I think also Mobius has been mentioned too. I think uh, I think I have never heard Mobius. I've mostly yeah. hear Topi, but sure, I, 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 I wouldn't I do doubt see, it. Yeah, I see some Mobius in his his artwork too. Uh, that style, um, um, yeah. But I think that I think he's mentioned that too. So yeah, but I think I've heard him mention those other names too. Um, but um, but um, go into a little bit more detail, especially since you're the the artist among us. So, like, what is he doing in Thor in particular? that um is so either revolutionary or so effective as a storyteller sure so uh i think that there are a number of things uh but the but but i think the thing that made him uh stand out in terms of just the aesthetic is this uh is this idea that he's going to use um uh hatching completely differently than anyone had ever seen it before in american comics and he's really stealing that from uh, like i say stealing that almost point blank from topi um, and if you, if you guys haven't read Topi, there's been a bunch of like really cool English editions released just in the last few years. And uh, I, I highly recommend checking them out. Uh, uh, Topi is, uh, uh, an amazing, amazing artist. And you can clearly see where Simonson is, uh, <clears throat> is, is getting a lot of that stuff. But what I think Simonson did with the Topi idea is he actually cleaned it up. We were talking about Simonson looking kind of sketchy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he, he basically took the Topi concept of the sketchy line work and then cleaned it up in the direction of what he saw with what a lot of people were doing with uh, Kirby. Uh, but the second thing that he's doing that I think is really, really powerful is he just has an incredibly powerful sense of design and uh, you can really see it in Beta Ray Bill himself. Um, there's this idea that we talk about in uh, in design uh, that will probably get me into trouble because of you know social justice issues these days. But it's called uh, physiognomy, and uh, the idea is that we try to design characters so that people instantly know who they are, or what they're about by the way that they look. You know, so if we want to if we want to communicate to someone without you know writing a big paragraph about how smart they are, when we want people to know they're smart, we draw them with a big forehead and giant glasses, right? Uh, that sort of thing. So what he did in particular with physiognomy and Beta Ray Bill 
was he designed Beta Ray Bill around this uh, idea of a horse's skull. And, uh, and that made everyone instantly think that Beta Ray Bill was evil. And that's actually part of the reason that he got in, he got so much crap initially for, uh, for Beta Ray Bill picking up the hammer, right? Because everyone assumed it was a villain and he didn't know anything about how the hammer worked. Um, (laughs) yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so, uh, and so to reverse, to, to use physiognomy to trick the reader, I think was, was, was a super powerful device. Uh, but and and he does that all the time. He he knows how to use visual cues to tell the reader stuff, and then he turns it around. That's uh, an amazing amazing uh, uh, technical feat and a, and a really really powerful like formal idea. So, and I think I think also um, to your point too about you know the design of characters and 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 you know making them look a certain way or telling a lot about them. Uh, right from the get-go that's interesting is I think what he does is he doesn't he doesn't use to your point he doesn't use stereotypes he's much smarter than that he he uses actual design elements um, and recognizable uh, sort of attributes without getting it into like I mean every once in a while I think you'll every artist like kind of like you know sort of leans on that stereotype stuff but not he doesn't do it that often Right. Um, and you know, you're not going to get what you expect. I mean, when we see Balder in, in, in his run, Balder is like huge. Like he's, he's white haired, he's fat, like he's out of shape. Right. Like, like he is not the guy that you're like, you're going to give him his own like limited series. Really? And he, he wants yeah. to right. die. You know, he, he really has given he was trying to die through the first couple issues. Yeah. And this is like run. your, yeah. your, your second biggest character in this, in this epic. Right. Um, uh, so, uh, Mike, what about you? What, uh, what's another element of his run of Thor real quick, uh, that, uh, you want to, uh, he actually made Loki interesting. He was one (laughs) of the first writers to do that because before that Loki was just basically the mustache twirling villain for Thor. And he actually made Loki interesting that you actually started caring for the character and that there there was always the relationship kind of sort of you know this is my evil stepbrother you know type thing between Thor and Loki but this way you actually felt like you know they both were under Odin's thumb and they both were you know pretty much yeah exactly you weren't just bad guy and good guy they were brothers no Literally, in this series, Loki became a gray character instead of a completely black character. He was still evil, don't get me wrong. And, but, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but he wasn't, you know, like I said, the mustache twirling, you know. Like, yeah. Doctor Doom is always going to be an evil villain, where Loki, not so much in or anything. Right, because right, when Surtur shows up, Loki's standing right next to Thor, just to to Thor and Odin to stop him from yeah, destroying exactly. It's like yeah, the, the whole family is there to stop him. Um, yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. And and as you know, another villain too. Speaking of his work on villains, uh, I think he is credited as creating Malekith. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. So, mm-hmm. which of course shows up in yep. the Thor movie. Everybody but me doesn't like. Uh, <laughs> 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 I like I like Thor well, too. I like Thor Dark World, yeah. but. Um, but I will agree that the, the 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 villain is weak, which is unfortunate because when you read Malekith, he's he's actually pretty cool. But right, 
he he also created Curse, which yep. is in that same. Yep. Movie. Oh, that's right. Yep. Yep. Um, and um, and he's the he's the one who did the redemption of Scourge the Executioner, which yes. they did in the third yep. movie. Not not quite as well as in the book, but there's a lot of stuff, especially in those in those four movies that are right from this run. Oh, exactly. But I would also say, you know, it wasn't just Walt doing this, but the the lettering by John Workman and the lettering placement in the Thor books. I've never seen lettering done that mm-hmm. way anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Where they were breaking mm-hmm. panel walls mm-hmm. with it. They were doing it in ways that was just unique so whatever so having those two things made it really work like we talked about the doom 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 that ran for a while it really works and it's it feels like part of the art mm-hmm. not just lettering slapped yeah on i know exactly when i was reading it uh because i was it took me a while to get used to the placement of the balloons in times but then i, I definitely once i got the hang of it after reading you know after volume after volume i was like okay i see where how to read these now because no, what threw the, me a lot for yeah. this was a lot of the thought balloons i'm not used to seeing <laughs> thoughts in comics anymore true. <laughs> well yeah well like the 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 the, the frog one i think that's all they yeah. call yeah, exactly. thought balloons. i think you're right yeah <laughs> um i i do want to point out that um you know throughout what thor's run on on thor uh he only did the art uh for about half of I think that run, uh, he starts mm-hmm. on, on 337. Uh, 367, uh, we start um, with um, uh, artist Sal Buscema takes over and mm-hmm. with the occasional like layouts by Walt. Um, but there is one issue near the end where Walt does all full right. page. Well, I was yep. about, yeah, panels. I was about to talk about that. So um, oh, okay. thank you. Uh, good lead in. Because, uh, yeah, yeah. Because so through his his end, uh, the last episode, the last issue he does is 382. But prior to that, I think about, I think 380 is the issue. Um, there is the battle among, the battle of beyond battles, right? The epic battle that this whole thing has been leading up to. And uh, it is between Thor and the World Serpent. I can't think of his name. I can't pronounce it probably anyway. Dromagander. And then, uh, so in order to convey this, uh, Walt wants to do full, full, like, splash page panels. Like, they're full page panels. Uh, And and one is even a double spread. Uh, Beautiful, gorgeous. Um, But not only is it an incredible piece of artwork um, on its own, but the story behind it that makes Walt, I think, the, one of the best guys in comics is that uh, he knew he wanted to do this, but he didn't want to take money off the table for Sal. So he lists in the credits that he is responsible for the layouts and that Sal is responsible for the pencils. So therefore, uh, you know, so that therefore Sal gets paid for his pencil work, I think minus 20 bucks a page or whatever it was. Um, and still gets paid and, and Walt, you know, gets his pay as well. But, um, I'm like, man, if that doesn't tell you what kind of guy he is, like, that's just amazing. Like, uh, you know, who else does that? It's like, if you're doing the art, you get paid to do the art, right? All right. So, um, his run on Thor is great. Um, we're, we're getting, (laughs) we're almost past our point, but I, I have to ask you if there's anything else closing out, is there anything post Thor? that you guys want to point out for people to check out uh, to, to explore even the, the, like the, the 
brilliance that is Walt Simonson. Uh, Bobby, we'll start with you. What else? Do you, what? I'll give I'll give you two of them. Uh, he was he wrote the Avengers, right in the, up to the, up to three hundred, um, which kind of was was during the in, uh, Inferno crossover where the demons were taking over. Uh, he was writing on that. Uh, he was off to a good start and ended up leaving the book unfinished with the story unfinished. He moved over to the Fantastic Four where he he was writing and drawing it and finished <laughs> the story that he had started in the Avengers, which is a time travel story where there's a bubble uh, at the 20 years in the future that is limiting. You can't go past that bubble. Something is, there's something there eating the future. And the FF, Thor, and Iron Man are off to stop it. And Nebula is involved in the Kangs and all that stuff. It's excellent read. I highly recommend it. And you, I don't know if the Avengers stuff is collected. It might probably is. But I do know there's three uh, visionaries of his FF run that are highly, highly Yeah, he was doing, I understand he was doing some pretty amazing. I haven't read any of that, but I, I know he was doing some pretty innovative stuff mm. too, there too with panels. And I think there's one where Reed and Doom are fighting throughout this whole issue. And there, it's a time yep. thing. So you have to kind of, you have to kind of yeah. piece it together. It's kind of the layout's weird, but you know, uh, it requires yeah. a little bit of work and on then, the reader's part, but yeah. And then both, and then all three of them in Thor, Avengers, and excuse me, Fantastic Four, the time variance authority are a big mm-hmm. part of those. You know, as we, you know, as we mentioned at the beginning, you know, that are going to be a big part of the Loki gotcha, series. Gotcha. Oh yeah, good call. Good call. Way to bring it current, man. Way to make it relevant. I try. <laughs> I did research. No, <laughs> actually, I knew all that, but it was yeah. He calls it research, folks. Uh, Alan, <laughs> Reading comic books. Alan, what about you? What's uh, what's something that uh, Walt's done over the last, like you say, couple decades that uh, you want to point out that people check out? The two things that I would want uh, people to know about are number one, um, Judas Coin, which is a graphic novel he did for DC a little while back. It was a uh, uh, a story about the coin that eventually ends up being Two Faces Coin. uh, what I really like about it, and the reason that I think that everyone who is interested in Walt Simon should should really uh, read the story, is really because it's set up in a bunch of short stories, and um, that are all kind of tied together by way of this coin. And it, I think it really demos um, all the different sort of subtle shifts in Walt's drawing style because he does draw it differently depending on which story we're talking about. Um, and then, of course, the 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 other thing that I I really hope everyone is checking out is his current. Uh, uh, Ragnarok story uh, oh, being published so with good, IDW. Yeah. It's uh, it's 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 beautiful and mesmerizing, and uh, you know uh, all all the stuff that you want from from a Walt Simonson story. Absolutely, it's 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 one of those things. And that was going to be one of my picks too. And I'll just say real quick, that's one of those. You know, you think, oh, he's finally doing Thor again. He's probably just doing like you know what he would do if he could work for Marvel now or whatever. Not that they, I can imagine them saying no to him, but um, right. But it's so much, it's so much more than that. <laughs> what is, he's doing with is. the Ragnarok's books is like, it's like what he was doing <laughs> with Thor and it does tie in a little bit, but it's like deeper and b- more bonkers and just the artwork is spectacular. Um, I mean, it's, it, it's a passion project is what it mm-hmm. is. And uh, it comes across in every page. Um, nice. Uh, I, I'm getting those hardcovers. So 
Uh, I just read the third volume this week too. Yeah. So, uh, Mike, what about you? What uh, what's exactly. something that uh, we haven't mentioned, or you know, over the last recent years that uh, while it's done that you want to point people towards? A couple different things. Um, well, after he did Thor, he also brought back the original X Men in X Factor, and those are an amazing, amazing story because that also brought in Apocalypse and changed Angel into Archangel and also brought back Jean Grey and which started in the Fantastic Four story and Beast for a little bit looked was back to his human form but that didn't last all that long and it was just a fun fun story and it was him and his wife working together it was wheezy and they're actually doing new X-Factor the two of them now for Marvel for Marvel's doing this special where they're bringing back teams from who had runs back then to do new stories well, set let me know time, when they so. do burn in uh claremont again and then we'll talk yeah but yeah walton we getting walton wheezy back together is not so bad you know oh man we could, we could do a whole other episode and hopefully we will sometime on louise because she's mm-hmm. Her work in mm-hmm. comics is just as, I think, important and legendary as his. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But yeah, um, X-Factor was oh, would be probably one of my best ones. And then I love what they're doing with Ragnarok. It just, it is awesome. Um, I'm going to just bring out uh, a couple things. One that uh, I think um, him as a writer um, that I, I would point people towards. Uh, I don't know much about his Fantastic Four run. I've only read one part of his Fantastic Four run. And it is where they have uh, a, the new team of four, uh, Fantastic Four, which is Wolverine, Spider-Man, uh, Ghost Rider, and Hulk. It's like this dream team. Um, but it was great. It was great Hulk too. Which yeah, it great, exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, it is a dream team, and it only lasted like a few issues. I think three issues or something like that. Three or four yeah. issues. Yeah, it's yeah, collected. Yeah. He but, wrote it, and but Art Adams did the. I was going to say Art Adams awesome. is yeah. Who we could do another episode on? Uh, Art Adams is is amazing in it. So yes, his writing, Art Adams art, check that out. And as far as his art goes, um, it's not as you know, it's not as famous. It's kind of fun, but it really made an impact on me. I thought it was really well done as far as these crossover things. I mean, now it's like characters are crossing over all the time. It's it's pretty uh, common, but. Um, he did the art for the crossover that Dark Horse did of RoboCop versus Terminator, written by Frank Miller, and that is spectacular. That's everything you want it to be like. That mm-hmm. is way better than, in my opinion, than any RoboCop sequel or any Terminator sequel that we got after Terminator <laughs> 2. Like, like it is just fun, balls to the wall action, and and Wall is just knocking it out of the park. So, um, uh, so I would recommend those two as well. So, and everything else we mentioned. And I think you can you can find. You can find that one pretty cheap. Probably, too, probably. Because <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Frank Miller's, uh, uh, well, that's a whole other thing. But, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, just because yeah, of what, yeah. That has gone down, right? His, his, his stock has gone way down. Uh, but in any case, um, that's it, Walt. I hope we feel that like you feel that we've done you justice here. I hope if you've got, you know, if listeners out there, if we've missed something, please let us know. If you've got a recommendation of something we need to check out and that we didn't mention, and that is uh, important to the uh, Walt Simonson legacy, please let us know. Um, write us, contact us, and uh, we will check it out and uh, talk about it on the show uh, in a future date. Um, but thanks, guys, for joining us. We appreciate it. 
So we will be right back after this creative hour. Everybody. Michelle here with an iconic rock talk show moment. Duran Duran have been very busy lately. Uh, over the weekend, they played the Billboard Music Awards. Last week, they released a new single called Invisible. And that single is from their upcoming 15th studio album, which will be out October 22nd. It's called Future Past. And it has appearances by uh, Mark Ronson, Giorgio Moroder, uh, Blur's Graham Coxon. Uh, Mike Garson, who used to work with David Bowie. So something to look forward to for Duran Duran fans. And I kind of think it's the beginnings of the machine cranking up for a uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nomination. Hall watchers have been looking for them to show up on a ballot for the last couple of years. So you never know. And speaking of machinery gearing up for a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nomination... We've all seen the power of the documentary with that over the past couple of years with the Go-Go's, Tina Turner. Meatloaf has uh, debuted his documentary. Uh, it uh, premiered over the weekend on a channel called Reels. Uh, Got to admit, I am not familiar with that channel. It's R-E-E-L-Z. If you have that channel, check out the Meatloaf documentary. And you never know. You could be on a ballot next year. Uh, between the documentary and the uh, passing of Jim Steinman. And speaking of Jim Steinman, uh, tune into the ESO podcast next week when Mike Faber, Mike Gordon, and Ricky and Bambi and I will all sit down and talk about Mr. Steinman, his career, his legacy, and those crazy glowing eye choir boys. This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show Moment. Check out the blog at esonetwork.com and also at iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com. We'll catch you next time. Welcome to Dr. Geek's Laboratory. Hello, everyone. Dr. Geek here with a shout-out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID-19 vaccine into reality. <laughs> Let's face it, creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider. Hey everyone, welcome to the Creative Outlet segment, and we are here with our friend Jason Flowers. Welcome back, Jason. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, first of all, let me tell you, I got uh, Bounty Bull Bullfrog, my copy of that. Excellent, excellent work. Thank you so much. It's, uh, it came out really great, man. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, 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 that's the biggest thing is I was worried, like, how people are going to respond to it. Like, because um, I've, I've been hyping it pretty hard. So it's like <laughs> there's a lot of uh, backing to that. So I'm, I'm glad pe people have all responded really well with it. I haven't heard any issues at all. So. No, absolutely. I don't. Have, yeah, it's it's great work. Um, I think some of your best work that I've seen, um, and uh, came with a lot of like little like you know like trading cards and buttons and stuff. And I'm like, wow, really cool. So oh, way to way to get those pogs, done. <laughs> What's that? They're pogs from the '90s. Pogs. That's right. That's right. Oh, taking me back. Wow, yeah. you're dating yourself, Mr. Gordon. <laughs> of course. Well, you know. Um, no one else will date you. Um, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, 
But you've got a new project now. Yeah. So let's tell tell us about Demon Blood. All right. So Demon Blood uh, came out probably around the same time as uh, I was working on um, Bounty Bullfrog. It's pretty much, I was doing a 24-hour thing at a, uh, my buddy Alex Ogle's studio. And um, it kind of originally came to fruition that way. But it's pretty much like, I tell people it's like Castlevania meets Tron in like a sci-fi horror kind of prelude book. And so this is like a prelude to the series that will come from it. But it's like uh, this, this hunters in search of uh, th- this blood of this demon that will help resurrect his ancestor to stop this uh, onslaught of, of monsters and creatures coming through a, a dimensional portal into our world called the Desolation. So um, these portals around our world kind of open up due to all the negativity and evil in the world. And these warriors have been around for centuries, kind of protecting our, our dimension. And now they're having to find out something to help them more. And this one hunter uh, is trying to resurrect his ancestor who can, who can do that. So yeah um uh very very hellboy-ish too very hellboy i can i can see that influence Uh, there's some preview pages on the kickstarter which i definitely recommend people check out and uh you know it's very um different in tone than bounty bullfrog obviously um i mean you're this is a, 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 a you know a, it's you can tell that they're related you can tell it's the same artist obviously but um there's a definite like uh, uh, tone of uh, doom yeah, yeah. <laughs> that so I'm seeing here. This, you know, this and... one's more like a very, this one's all me, first of all. With Bounty, <laughs> I had a colorist um, named Jeremy and um, Jeremy Mendez, and he, he was phenomenal. He's still, he's still the colorist for Bounty, so um, he may be the colorist for Demon Blood when I do the original series on him, but for now, this was kind of like this, like itch I needed to scratch to kind of like get that get this out here so this one's all colored and lettered by me this is all me um and just kind of like putting it out there as something like a little buffer while we wait on bounty issue two that I'm working mm-hmm. on you guys can also have something else that I'm doing and uh that's different that's but still like you said in that same tone of of me so. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, and knowing you, I know, like, yeah, this is definitely in your wheelhouse. Um, and because uh, I know you're, you know, big fan of horror. Oh, yes. And, uh, um, but yeah, I could definitely see the, you know, you mentioned Tron. Um, and and I can see the Hellboy and a little bit of like, I don't know, I see these floating skulls and I'm thinking uh, Ghost Rider, you know? So, oh, I'm, yeah, I've, I've been got... on a big Ghost Rider kick lately with uh, <laughs> the 90s Adam Kubert. Oh right, Gary. right, yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and it looks like the lead guy's on a bike too. So yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the Johnny Blaze era, right? Yes, very much. <laughs> very much. Uh, the, the Spirits of Vengeance series, Spirits of Vengeance. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, I you know I, I don't know when folks listening to this, but if they are listening to this shortly after um, it's released. Um, there's still plenty of time to get involved and support this project. Um, it's still got a, a few weeks left, so definitely recommend you check it out. Um, anything you want to point out as far as the the reward tiers? 
Yeah, so um, I've, I've got different reward tiers um, ranging from like, I think there's four different covers you can choose from. One is a sketch cover variant. Um, I think I have a reward where you can get a t-shirt or you can get a t-shirt and a comic. Um, there's also an original art reward where you can get one of the original art pages from the book um, along with a copy of the book. And I'm working on hopefully having another cover to finished before the campaign ends. And then we can go for stretch goals and stuff like that. So um, again, I'm not, I wasn't expect, I'm not expecting a, as huge numbers as I did with bounty. Um, but uh, again, like this is just more of like that small little side passion project to kind of mm-hmm. keep, keep it going kind of thing. So absolutely and and you've already i mean it looks you're like you're on your way solidly yeah we're almost as, we're almost uh, halfway there so yep. you know which is great in terms pick. of this yep so um yeah i definitely recommend people check it out if you're into sci-fi horror uh as we said tron <laughs> Ghost Rider, Hellboy. yeah yeah um and uh, uh yeah definitely check this out and um um, and is there a way to still get uh, Bounty Bullfrog as well? Like yes. for those people who missed that Kickstarter? Yes, yes. So um, there, there'll be, it's on my website right now, which is just uh, jasonflowersart.bigcartel.com. So it's my Big Cartel store. And uh, there you can order any of the available covers that are still left. I still, I have a Jim Lawson variant. Um, Jim Lawson is one of the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle artists for a long time on the uh, series so he was kind enough to do a cover for me on that so i still have some of his variant and uh um yeah there's like i think seven other covers you can get (laughs) right (laughs) but uh (laughs) there's a sketchbook cover and then there's some virgin covers and um there's even a claymation cover i had an awesome friend do a claymation that's right i saw you that see that that was amazing <laughs> it was amazing he, he just told me he's like here here's a link and i was like where did this come from this is amazing and so i told him i was like let's make a variant cover of it that would be great so he he made a variant cover of it and it looks awesome but it's awesome all that's available uh, over there too okay so if people missed out on that kickstarter uh check that out as well and we will have links to both Demon Blood and, uh, you know, your website on our show notes so people can check it out. Awesome. Good luck, man. Thanks for coming on. No, thanks for having me, guys. And don't forget, uh, Bounty Bullfrog number two will probably be launching in July. So we'll we'll be doing Kickstarter in probably around July for that one. Cool. So we may talk to you in a couple months then. Excellent. All right, take care. Let's take a quick break and let's close up the show. Everyone these days could use a little support And your friends at the ESO Network are no different with the ESO Network Patreon. The cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about Titans Season 1. Titans has been out for a few years, and I had not had a chance to watch it. So it was actually the only show in the live-action DC app original shows that I had not watched. Well, this weekend, I binged the entire season on HBO Max, and holy cow, 
This show is a lot of fun and I really, really like it. So Titans is basically a Teen Titans take, but not all the characters are teens. So Dick Grayson, Starfire, and a few others are older, while Raven and Beast Boy are still in their teens. I also loved that they did talk about where Beast Boy is and why he was not with the Doom Patrol, since I have watched Doom Patrol and that was one of my questions, where's Beast Boy? Because they do an entire episode to explain this, and I really love that they did that with the cast of Doom Patrol. I really like how they went about doing the show and integrating all the Titans characters. Also, how they do the backstories and show how each one became the superhero they are. The only one that we don't know a ton about backstory-wise is Starfire, since we only know small basics because of her amnesia. But after seeing some character posters for oncoming seasons, I guess we're going to get to learn a lot more about her later on. The show focuses on Dick Grayson, Starfire, and Beast Boy, and to some extent Hawk Dove and Wonder Girl, who are helping Raven, or Rachel, who is being hunted down by her father's followers, who are trying to bring her father into the human world from his dimension. The first season does flow over into season two, which I have not started yet, but the first season is very solid and goes all over the place with the DC lore. You also get a great Superboy and Crypto cameo at the end of the last episode of season one. So I'm really excited to see where that goes too. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. I want to thank our guests for being here tonight. Bobby Nash, you made it out of the airlock, my friend. Thank you so much. Woo-hoo. How can you go? Oh, yeah, so good to be <laughs> so good to be back. Get out, stretch, you know, get, you know, gets awful cramped in there in the, in the, in the airlock. You know, you got writing to do. Get back in there. Goodbye. That's right. Hunch back over. Exactly. In. A writer's work is never done. Never done. As we can tell by all the promotions you do. What do you got going on? Woo. It's been it's 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 amazing. One of the one of the weird things about working for publishers is it's very feast or famine. You'll go months with nothing out, and then four different publishers put out four different projects the same week. So uh, I've been uh, doing pretty good. We uh, the new Domino Lady threesome trade paperback is out, which is something that I've been waiting on for a while, and I, some comics that Nancy Holder and I wrote, and so I'm very excited about that. And um, Occupied Pulp just came out, as did Pulp Reality Number 2. And we've got more snow stuff coming as well. So. That is awesome. I'm um, yeah. looking forward to yeah. seeing more of your stuff, my friend. Thank you, thank that you. That is awesome. And how can people find you? Uh, BobbyNash.com is my website. Um, Ben-Books.com for the stuff that I publish. And then the rest of it will be at Bobby Nash. And I'm all over social media. Stop by and oh, say yeah. hello. You can't go five feet on social media without running into a Bobby Nash project. <laughs> I am. I, I try to be everywhere. <laughs> that is cool. And Alan, my friend, you've made it through another episode after quite some time. I'm, I'm so thrilled that you guys had me on. I, I, I always enjoy chatting with you. It's always great to have you. Anything you want to promote or shout out about? Sure. Uh, well, the, the most recent thing that I have out is um, 
Uh, it's uh, the first of a graphic novel series called The Crow Chronicles. The first uh, volume is called Blackland. It is uh, a retelling of the classic monsters if they were teenagers living in the Mississippi Delta. And oh. uh, <laughs> I, That's thanks. Awesome. Uh, and uh, you know, the first the first book is a mummy story. Uh, I'm working on the second one right now, which will be a werewolf story. In addition to that, the other project that I'm that I'm working on that I should tell you about is uh, I'm working with uh, uh, Atlanta artist uh, Sean Crystal on uh, something called uh, Ink Pulp Instruction, and uh, we're running around the country video recording uh, a bunch of uh, comic book artists in their native domains uh, doing. Uh, basically demoing what they do and, and talking about it. And we're doing like, uh, not only is it an instructional thing, but it's kind of a little uh, documentary thing at the same time. So far, we've done one about Sean himself, who uh, is probably most widely known for his Deadpool work. Uh, we did one about, uh, our second one was about Eric Kennedy, who uh, you probably know from uh, Aeon Flux. He did all that for MTV back in the 90s and currently... Uh, let's see. I think the most recent thing he did was some Mark Miller books. Um, the third one is about, uh, Jim Mafood who, uh, worked on, uh, clerks and tank girl. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the one that we have coming out next month is, uh, featuring Tommy Lee Edwards, who did a bunch of, uh, uh, design work for like Harry Potter and star Wars and stuff like that. Uh, oh, the one awesome. we have, the one we have coming out after that is featuring, uh, Jeff DeCal, who's a big Marvel cover artist. Wow. That's awesome, dude. And, that and is where, really Where awesome. can people find those? Uh, inkpulpinstruction.com. And you can find out more about me at alanowbarnes.com. That is awesome, buddy. And you, it's always great to have you. You're just such an awesome guy anyway. So there you uh, go. You're too sweet. Too sweet. No, I, I try. I try. What can I say? <laughs> Don't let it get around, though. Do not let it get around. Because <laughs> this man, Mr. Mike Gordon, you know, who's been my podcast partner for over 11 years now, that, you know, what, you know, he could tell you stories that would make you, like, never want to talk to me again. So It's a blessing and a curse. Exactly. Anything you got about shout out Mike's about? Mike's writing that tell-all book. <laughs> Life with favor. No. <laughs> <laughs> and now you have a title. There you go. There you go. Yeah, right. Well, as always, it's my pleasure, sir. Always great to talk to you, my friend. So what do you got for us tonight? Um, been uh, on the subject of seeing other podcasts. I have uh, done a little bit of that. Um, I am featured on the Needless Things podcast. It just was released uh, Friday, uh, episode number 364, which uh, Dave has uh, wonderfully titled Back to the Gordon, uh, complete with... Uh, me in sort of a marty mcfly pose which is very odd to see um but uh wearing a fez yeah wearing a fez of course of course um but um uh i always have fun over in the phantom zone so uh we just talk about um a lot of crazy things about uh and some serious things too we talk about the return of conventions and how we feel about it as well as uh, some of the other things that are going on right now. And uh, we even dip a little bit into uh, personal hygiene issues. So, um, you know, a little bit of something for everybody there. So uh, check it out. We'll have a link in the show notes for that. That's very cool. Um, I've been seeing another podcast too, my folks and friends. I have been seeing, of course, the Spoilerverse podcast, 
our wonderful friend Melissa, who was on the show last week with us talking about the best we've ever drank. Uh, we basically, she had me on her podcast to just chat, find out all about ESO Network, about Earth Station One, my views on life. And we just talked for almost 45 minutes on her podcast and just had a great time just talking and chatting about anything. And you, of course, can find it at scpod.net. And it is really, really great. And they gave us a nice write-up for about ESO. So thank you, thank you to Melissa and her crew. And, you know, definitely find that up there. Speaking of finding things up there, we will be back again next week. We've got a great episode. We're going to do a music spotlight. We haven't done one of those in a bit. And we are going to be doing a music spotlight on Jim Steinman who just recently passed away and was a huge, huge musical influence to a lot of people and of huge power. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have Michelle, Ricky and Bambi up here and you know our usual music crew. And it's going to be a very interesting time because everyone has their own bit of Jim that they remember the most. And yeah. it'll be a, we're a nice honor. We're going to expand uh, some areas of the station because we're going to need a full orchestra and a huge choir uh, to do this episode because that's that's required with anything related to Jim Steinman. So well, we've yeah. got a little bit of work to do here. Well, of course. And, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see where that comes around. And, you know, I'm very going to be curious to hear what everyone's different views on it are too. So. It'll be very nice to see, though. So I'm very much looking forward to that. And it's always been great talking with everybody here. And as we always like to say is thanks for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. We're powered by NSC. You can find them at nsclivetv.com. Remember, you could also find the Earth Station One podcast wherever fine podcasts are found, including now Amazon Music. So all you have to do is go, hey, Alexa, listen to the Earth Station One podcast. You could subscribe and tell all your friends about us too. Yep, we're not too paddled to beg. On behalf of myself, Mike Faber, Mr. Mike Gordon, of course, Bobby Nash and Alan Barnes, thank you for listening to the podcast tonight. We'll see you here next time on Earth Station One. Stay safe, hug your loved ones. Please get vaccinated, folks. Peace, and we are done. Boom. We're done. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Air Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, 
your station for all things geek.